Welcome to the Evo GK Podcast. Evo GK Podcast. What a save! We bring you the highs and the lows and lessons learned as we talk everything goalkeeping with some of the best in the business. For your ultimate goalkeeping fix, this is the podcast for you. With your hosts, James Howarth and Dominic Bilet. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Evo GK podcast. We're joined by a very special guest again today, Scott Pierce. But before we speak to Scott, Dominic, how are we? Yeah, and hello everyone listening at home. Yet another Evo GK podcast. I hope you're all enjoying them. And again, we've got Scott in today. Any Sunderland fans listening, it's, it's going to be brilliant, mate. Yeah, we, ha- we have some fantastic stories on Scott. You know, we'll be speaking everything about Jermaine Defoe, Jordan Henderson, Jordan Pickford, and also Sam Allardyce. So for any Sunderland fan listening, or any fan in general, I'm sure you're going to love this one. So Dominic, let's dive right in. Let's go. Scott, how are we? Yeah, great. Thanks, James. You? Yeah, brilliant. Um, you know, let's dive right into the questions because I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to hear plenty of stories from yourself. Um, firstly, um, congratulations on your new role at Sunderland. Um, how did that come about um, after spending, obviously, a couple of years away from the club? Yeah, I mean, new. I suppose it's an old role. Um, sort of gone full circle, really. Uh, obviously, started at the club back in 2006 in this sort of capacity. In that it was 9s to 18s then, as opposed to, to a 9s to 16s role. Um, and obviously, as you know, I spent, a, spent 11 and a bit years at the football club and, and had a bit of a break away from football. Um, the role came up it went out to tender just like anything else um, obviously given giving me connections at the football club you know one or two people were messaging us asking if I'd be interested in applying for the role and um, I took a, took a few weeks to think about it really and whether it was the right time to go back into to full-time football because you know since then I haven't really been full-time in a in a football club um, in, in the other roles I've done uh, and it just it just felt right. So you know, like anyone else, I applied for the job. Um, went and did an interview, which was very strange indeed. Uh, going back to it was almost like going back to old school, I suppose. Uh, did the interview? I was offered the position. Sat and discussed it with my wife before we decided to, whether I was going to go back into full time football because anyone who works in football knows how um, how it can fully engross you and almost. If you let it, it, can take over your life a little bit. So, you know, we discussed it and, and we just felt it was the, the right thing to do at the right time, you know. So, uh, good project. You know, I'm excited to, I was hoping to be back by now. Um, but obviously, given the situation we're all in, I'm not back. But exciting project. We've got some talented 9s to 16-year-olds. Um, I was very fortunate the first time around to have some extremely talented 9 to 16-year-olds. So, I'm looking forward to eventually getting on the grass and then within the gym and getting to work. Fantastic. So, uh, Scott, obviously, you touch upon the, your whole time at Sunderland. Um, one thing that obviously is the managers at Sunderland that you've worked with very various. One of the managers that sticks out is Sam Allardyce, and I'm just wondering if you, what was your relationship like with him and, and work with him, and uh, is there any particular stories that stick out? Yeah, I mean, uh, when we got wind that, that Sam would be coming in as manager, uh, being in a position as sports scientist, I was both. Um, excited and probably nervous at the same time, given his his reputation um, in the field of sort of sports science and and performance based stuff. Um, a little bit nervous, but you know you you know it's interesting. Listen to a number of podcasts over the last few weeks, and 
the amount of people in in our sector or our industry, if you if that's how you want to term it, who who have gone on to great things, who have all worked under Sam. Um, so I was a little bit nervous about you know his expectations of what he would be expected from me, really. Um, but you know, as soon as he come in, he put me at ease very quickly with with a very simple conversation. And, and his first question to me was, "How can I help you?" Um, it, it wasn't, "I want this or I want that from you." It was simply, a, as a manager, "How can I help you do do the best in your job?" Um, Sam's a very pragmatic person. Um, and I suppose that's where he looks to, to delve into, you know, we might call them one percenters, but into sports science, sports psychology, strength conditioning, sports therapy, sports massage. He looks to, to all them. But I think what stood out the most was he doesn't just look to, to blanket coverage him across all the players. He knows that some will work for some players, some might not work for other players. Um, but ultimately, he wants to make sure all the players have all the tools and are fully equipped to go out and ultimately perform on a on a Saturday. Um, and, and when he when he asked that first question, "How can I help you?" It was I was a bit took aback by it because you know I was expecting this very authoritative figure. And, and whilst he does carry that presence without a doubt, it was quite quite a relaxing conversation. And, and we built up a, a good relationship over the time. I was disappointed we, we only worked together for about ten months in the end. Um, but obviously, you know, the England role came up and, and I think that was, you know, too big for him to turn down. Um, but very pragmatic in his approach, um, very friendly uh, with the staff, um, supported his staff. Uh, it was interesting listening to a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago about his time at Sun and he, he talks about his staff quite a lot and, and that's not just him playing lip service to it. I think he, he appreciates his support team around him and Whilst he has this reputation of carrying a lot of staff, you know, he certainly sees value in them, and 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 he sees how that impacts performance. So, you know, great character, wonderful person to work with, um, had a big impact on me uh, in terms of my development as a coach. First and foremost, had me looking at things differently, how to work with senior players, how to work with players with different backgrounds, different ethnicities, um, how to deal with different reputations. Um, and he was great to tap into, you know, you know, easily just knock on his door or a chat in the cafeteria or a chat on the bus, wherever we may be, about certain players or certain problems that we might have had. Um, he'd, he'd always have a, an ear to listen to and also had a, obviously given his experience lots of solutions to, to lots of problems, I suppose. Yeah. And what was it like, Scott, obviously working with somebody, you know, so hands on and, you know, kind of a people person, if you like, to then kind of go to David Moyes was maybe a slightly different approach, a very experienced sort of man. Was he was he was he much different to, to Sam or was he was he very similar in, in terms of what he was like around the dressing room? Uh yeah, different. I think that that comes across clear on just on a TV screen that the different characters, you know, just just as much as you know Sam and Grayson was a different character and uh, Dick Advocat, totally different. They've all, they've all got their own personalities and bring their own their own traits. Um but both, you know, extremely hardworking people, um, dedicated to the job, um, desperate to do well, uh, but just had different approaches. And I think, you know, if you only have to look across the Premier League now and see most managers have, have very different approaches to, to different things. Um, so, so, you know, different, but not necessarily to say one was better than the other. Yeah. Um, you know, times were, times were difficult uh, under David in terms of our results didn't quite reflect some of the work that I felt a lot of the staff were putting in on a daily basis and the players themselves. Um, but it was 
you know the managers are different and that's just that's just i suppose that's how most people are you know yeah so we're obviously you work with managers like we've touched upon but also the players and and one of the players that that stick out also is um jordan henderson and i'm, I'm just wondering obviously what is it like for you to the You've seen Jordan Henderson as a younger lad, and now you look at him and he's captain of arguably one of the biggest clubs in the world. Yeah, I mean, immense pride. Um, you know, most recently, I said to him, I'm probably more proud about some of the stuff that he's been doing in and around the, the support in the NHS and the Black yeah. Lives Matters and all that. And, and, and that for yeah. me is, is, you know, certainly from a, speaking from an academy point of view, what we value the most in him, not just the, the England caps and, and the trophies, that, that for me is, is a big measure of a success or a yardstick of our football academy. Um, I took a few questions on him recently with a, a, a newspaper um, and it's something that just on reflection as a coach, I was quite young when I worked with Jordan. Um, I'm probably only, uh, actually was 30 yesterday, so I'm four years older than, than Jordan. So I was quite a young coach when I, when I worked with them in the youth team. But uh, when I reflect now, you know, obviously it's evident that at the time as a young player, it, it's out in the news about how maybe physically he was a little bit behind people. But when I look back now, actually mentally, he was streets ahead of everyone. Mentally streets ahead of everyone. He, he knew he had the right mindset. He knew exactly what it took to be a professional footballer. Uh, so that's credit to, to all the coaches who worked with him during that time period, and most of all, it was parents uh, for making him the, t the type of person he is. But he mentally streets ahead of everyone. And people always speak about how we sacrificed a number of things. And again, on reflection, I don't like the word sacrifice. He simply just chose to be different. Yeah. He made good choices at the right times. Uh, Jordan was part of a very talented youth team, of which... You know, I'll go on record. There's probably one or two players in there who probably at that time I thought were more talented than that. But ultimately, he made better choices than what they did in terms of, of pushing his career forward. Um, but to see him now is obviously, you know, for, for all of us who have who've played some, just a small part in his career is, is, you know, we're all immensely proud and we're always, I think the academy lads will get bored of us talking about him at some point. But he is he is the yardstick of, of what it takes to be, a, for me, a Sunderland product. Um and I, and, I, and I won't hide away from that, you know. Yeah. How how big is it that his attitude uh, is the, is the biggest thing? You know, there's there's loads of and I, it's not to say he's not talented, that, but there's there's loads of massively talented players in the game. But how big is actually that psychological side for for goalkeepers and any players listening? How big was it that the Jordan psychological side? That was that a big side and yeah. strength and condition and the effort he put into that? Yeah, I mean. From an attitude point of view, you only have to look at the way his career has gone. It, it, it is slowly but surely, every year he's got better and better and better. Yeah. And that's because of his attitude. You know, it gets termed a, a growth mindset. And Jordan was always willing to improve. He was never satisfied with his level of performance or he never just sat in the comfort zone. He always wanted to be better. He was always striving to, to, to do better. So when you, when you start looking at things like S&C, you know, I was the first full-time academy SNC sports scientist at the time. He tapped into it straight away. How, how is this going to make me better? How is this going to, how is this going to make me a better footballer? Ultimately, how is this going to make me perform on a, on a weekend? Uh, how is this going to get me a pro contract? Because at the time, he didn't have one. And, and he's probably done that throughout all his career amongst all the staff that he's worked with. He's probably tapped into coaches, SNC coaches, psychologists. 
and he's utilised everything around him to, to to get better every year. And I, someone said to me, oh, "What would he be like when he, you know?" I, I think on record so he's probably going to win the Premier League what's he, he'll want to win it next year that's the type of person he is um, and for me that he sets the standards for everyone else and everyone else will, will follow him you know yeah and I think as well Scott I think the biggest thing is looking looking at it now and I know Jordan didn't have a particularly easy time when he first went to Liverpool you know trying to you know fill the boots of you know probably one of the greatest ever Liverpool players to potentially ever live in Steven Gerrard but to see him now you know fulfilling that and you know do it, making it his own, making that role his his own position is is absolutely brilliant to see. And obviously, with him being a a local a local lad as well, it's it's absolutely absolutely fantastic. So, no, that, that's great. And and also, um, Scott, how 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 would you work differently um, in your training um, with say outfield players to goalkeepers? Yeah, good question. Um, ultimately, that you know, when you're working with any athlete in any sport, whether it's football, cricket, or, and then within the sport, whatever position. You've got to look at what the demands of the game entail. So you know we know that the goalkeepers' demands, physical demands, are very much different to a to an outfield player. Um, but we also know that the training demands are still pretty high. You know, the, the train just as they probably train harder through the week than they do it physically, anyways, than, than the, what they need on a Saturday. Um, I would say eighty percent of it probably looks similar uh, in the sense that you know we'll we'll get the basis of strength. Uh, to make sure they're robust and fit and ready to train and play on a regular basis. Um, but the, the other 20% difference would be probably in around um, the power development, the speed development. It probably looks a little bit different to a goalkeeper than it is a, to, to an outfielder. Um, the principles of, of the training will be the same, but I think just ultimately it's just how you dress it up and, and you know, you've got to try and portray that uh, to, to the keeper so they can see relevance to performance. Um, there's no good me, you know, constantly sprinting them over 40, 50 meters like I would an outfield player. But you know, it might be sort of five meters accelerations, ten meter accelerations, um, and things and things around that nature. Then you've got to look at things around shoulder health, um, which is you know something I picked up quite a bit when I probably went sort of first team end. Um, things around shoulder health, shoulder mobility, uh, shoulder strength. Uh, you know, given the, the nature of the, the amount of times that they're diving repeatedly on, on, on those joints and having to withstand a lot of a lot of force going through the body. Um, so, so, you know, 80% probably looks similar, 20% subtle differences. Yeah. Obviously, again, going back to, to, to players that you've worked with, just to get an idea of, of their characters and, and sort of their mentality and especially focusing on strength and conditioning. Jermaine Defoe, still still playing at an older age. What was your relationship like with him? And you know, because he's playing at an older age, is, is strength and conditioning something that has allowed him to keep going so long? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I worked with Jermaine at, at probably um, at the time. I thought it was the back end of his career. Uh, how wrong I was. <laughs> he's still going now. <laughs> uh, but, but having worked with him and, and seen him, I know why he's still playing now. Um, you know, Jermaine is, was 32, maybe 33 at the time. Um, it wasn't a case of me going to him and saying, there you go, Jermaine, there's a programme, we're doing this, off we go. <clears throat> that was never going to work. He, he got to this point in his career knowing what he's known and doing what he's done. Um, simply it was, uh, you know, again, not, not just me as well. There was, there was another key, two or key uh, members of staff within the football club who worked with him in terms of his S&C and sports science, but it was a case of 
what do you need to do to perform at your best on a Saturday, Jermaine? Let's have a look at it. Right, fine. These are things that we think may add value to you or may improve your longevity. What do you think? Um, getting them to buy into it. And, and he was very similar to, to, to a Henderson in that sense. If he could see value in something, um, he would run with it and he would go with it and he would trial it. Um, if, if he, again, saw that value, he would continue it. If he didn't, he would just dismiss it and move on to something different. Um, it, would, it was very challenging, but in a good way. He would always challenge your knowledge and what you know, and you know, he'd always ask why, why we're we doing this. Um, some people might have seen that as a maybe a, a bit of a petulant thing, but actually, I've seen it as he was trying to learn and want to know why we're we doing. Quite a knowledgeable person, to be fair, uh, in the area of, of sports science and S and C. And again, a, another wonderful human being, uh, fantastic person to to be around, infectious, positive, smiling all the time, um, and, and worked hard on a day to day basis. Um, yeah to ensure he performed on a Saturday, you know? Yeah, and I, and I always remember, you know, obviously seeing him a few times in the stands and he, he was always the type of player that, you know, really sort of lifts you off your, off, off your seat, if you like. And I don't think the club really replaced Darren Benton until Jermaine Defoe came in and he just scored goals for fun, didn't he? He was just, it was, every, it was pretty much every week. Yeah, I think the key word there is fun. Honestly, you'd watch him in training and he'd celebrate a goal in training like he was celebrating on, on a Saturday in front of 46,000 people. He'd constantly, he'd score a goal in training and he'd shout at any member of staff that was nearby. Did you say that? Did you say that? And, and that's, that's the type of person he is. You know, he, the, his love of the game was was incredible. Uh, often, you know, I'd sit down in the dressing room and we'd just chat about the games the day before, if it was a Super Sunday or a Champions League midweek which we talk football and he'd get annoyed at if anyone in the dressing room hadn't seen the game, it, it would frustrate him. What do you mean you haven't watched it? What have you been doing? Uh, and that's just him. You know, he, he couldn't walk around the building without having a football under his arm or kicking something. And that's just the type of person he is. And ultimately why he's played the career and still loves the game and still playing now at, I think, 37. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of players that sort of, I mean, I, I remember hearing stories about like, Guys are doing kick-ups before the game. So is the game going to start yet before the, the warm-ups uh, started? I think that players like Jermaine before hearing stuff like that, you know, all, all the top players you hear about, they've either got this love for the game that they sort of have carried through from grassroots and even though they've been successful, I think that, that that's really important that they've still got that love and desire to the game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly that. Warm-ups on a match day was very meticulous. Um, liked his little routines, didn't like it being disrupted. Um, again, in the dress dressing room, always doing little keep you up with the ball. Had his own little routines in terms of how he prepared physically uh, and mentally. Um, there was a certain point where he just switched off, and it was game face, um, and, he, and he knew then not to not disturb him too much with too much information or or, or anything. You know, just let him get ready for the game and. You know, again, a, a cr incredible professional, and you know, for me personally, very, very fortunate to work with someone as uh, as talented and, and as nice as a human being as he is. Yeah. Sorry, what you talk about there about about warm ups and and catering for each player is it is that something you've got had experience in that that you need to cater for different players in different ways? You said you said you don't just put out a generic strength and conditioning. Yeah, I think. <clears throat> Ultimately, to, to get buy-in from anyone on anything, whatever it is, you have to give them a level of autonomy over it or a level of input. And I think by doing that, you'll get them to buy in a bit more. Now, you do get players who just want to be told, just tell me what I do and I'll go do it. Um, absolutely, you get those types of players. 
but you get other players who want to know why, or you get other players who might have suggestions. And and I think you get more more from the program if you can if you can get them to to have a little bit of an input. And, and it might just be really really simple. So it might just be a, a, a well being check. How are you feeling? My legs are a little bit tight. The sore, the stiff. Uh, I'm not really sure I can do this exercise. Okay. What about if we change it and we look at maybe doing something like this, but we're still going to get the same response? Yeah, yeah, we'll have a go at that. And it, it, it's it's a big psych, psychological type thing with, with, with individuals. You know, warm-ups are, you'll see everyone in the Premier League looks very similar, uh, very generic. Players will go through some dynamic routines. And, but, but within it, I always try to give opportunities for players to do their own things. So, you know, when we first go out, I'm very conscious of not blowing the whistle and getting them in straight away. I leave them three or four minutes. Some players will gravitate towards the football. Some players will start going across the pitch. Some players might just stand and have a chat or just get used to the surroundings. Within the warm-up, again, rest periods allow them sort of opportunities to do what they want to do. Um, more towards the end of the warm-up, some want to, want to have a strike of the ball a bit firmer. Some want to do some shooting, some want to do some heading, and it's just about giving them the opportunities within it to do it while still getting the fundamentals of, of what a warm up's all about from it. Um, you know, obviously, we're, we're a team sport, but I think everyone prepares a, a little bit differently. Um, you know, goalkeepers are interesting, aren't they? They've got their own little routine, their own little world, and get on with it, don't they? Whereas we expect the other, the other 15 lads just to, to all do the same thing. and yeah. It's something that you know. Often I think about you know. Even I get bored of doing the same one every week. And sometimes I just think you know, can we make it look a bit different? And where's the opportunities for player X to do what he needs to do? Now, whilst you might not see it all on the grass in a Premier League game, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not happening inside. Uh, you, you see a lot of individuality in, in the dressing rooms um, in terms of how players prepare, whether it's massage, whether it's um, some therapy from a physio. Uh, whether it's some mini band activities or some stretching or some foam rolling or, you know, players probably, you see a lot more of the individual stuff behind the scenes. Um, but that's not to say it doesn't always go on either, you know? Yeah. Uh, brilliant insight, Scotty. And, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to finish on a final question that we ask all our guests. Um, and I want to cater yours towards your strength and conditioning and sports scientist. Um, for, for young goalkeepers out there listening, Scotty, um, what we'd like to know is how important is the strength and conditioning sports science and that they buy into that, that sort of area to help them progress in their game? I think, you know, the way I put it in terms of strength and conditioning, it isn't the most important, but it is important. And I think if I was talking to a young goalkeeper and I said to them, how much do you love football? And they'll probably tell us loads. How many times a week do you want to train? Hopefully they'll say seven. And I'll say, well, if you want to be able to train seven days a week, you need to be as fit and as strong and as robust as possible um, and, and limit the amount of injuries you may occur. So by give yourself the best chance and take part in S&C, uh, listen to some of the some of the sports scientists and some of the advice they may give you and around sort of training recommendations. Um, but ultimately, a, a, a big thing about S&C is the longevity. Um, so if I was talking to a young goalkeeper, it would be around longevity. And then the Brucey bonus alongside it is if, if anything... It only improves longevity, fine. But just imagine if it made you that little bit quicker, that little bit more powerful, that bit stronger, um, then it's going to improve your performance as well, which is fundamentally what, what S&C is supposed to do. Brilliant. Uh, well, some absolute top tips there. Um, and, you know, thank you again for coming on, Scott. Oh, thanks for having me. Brilliant to have you. And 
everyone listening at home, you, you know, you've, you've got a wealth of tips there. Um, Scott's work with, like we've mentioned, Jordan Anderson, Jermaine before. Um, some great insight for Sunderland fans as well. So it had a bit of everything that. So thank you very much, Scott. No problem. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, uh, listening at home. And we'll catch you there. Thank you for listening to the Evo GK Podcast with your host, James Howarth and Dominic Bailet. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, Evolve with Evolution.